Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Tuesday, August 30th, 2022. Buckle up, everybody, because today we will be looking at one of the most difficult, uh, perhaps disagreed upon, sometimes controversial, and unfortunately, I think often misused chapters in the Bible. We're going to be diving into Romans chapter 7 today. Romans chapter 7. So let's think through some of the things that we have seen uh, from Romans. Uh, we, We see in these first three chapters this case that is made airtight that all Jews, Greeks alike, they're under sin. No one will be justified by their works. But God has made a way. Through Jesus Christ, through his atoning sacrifice, God is the just and the justifier of all those who put their faith in Christ. And even though all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, uh, all can be justified by his grace as a gift that is received by faith. In chapter 4, we see that in Abraham. He was not saved by being circumcised. He was saved by faith. And we are the children of Abraham if we follow in the footsteps of his unwavering faith, trusting that God will keep his promises. And then in chapter 5, we see how Christ has done what Adam could not. And again, through this grace, we have access to God. We stand in grace and hope, and we can have assurance and confidence. And then even chapter 6 reminds us, no, now we don't just go sin so that grace may abound. We consider ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. And instead of presenting ourselves as slaves to sin, leading to more sin and more death, we present ourselves to God, and we see growth and sanctification. And now we get to chapter seven. Where does this uh, fit in? And what you're going to see and what Romans chapter seven is famous for is this struggle that is described where, where Paul is talking about knowing the right thing to do. You see this in verse 15, for I do not understand my own actions for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Right? I, I know what the right thing is to do, but I'm not doing it. Or we see later in verse 18, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And so we see this struggle described as someone who knows what to do, but is doing something else and and really struggling with that. There is some real frustration that is expressed in this chapter. And so the debate that uh, this may be more than any other passage I've studied as I look at the professors I've had, the pastors I've had, I don't know that there's any single issue where I can say there is as much disagreement as there is on this chapter. And there's kind of two main views. And one is that Paul here is describing his current uh, struggle in sanctification, that Paul is de- describing what he is experiencing in the present time. And then the other school of thought is that here Paul is really 
actually describing an unbeliever. And if you look at either of those and say, what? Somebody actually thinks that? Uh, Spends a little more time reading. Because if you honestly read this passage, you should see why there actually is a struggle to understand here. Because there are some things that are said here that you say, how could Paul possibly be talking about a believer? And there's some other things where you would say, well, how could he possibly be talking about an unbeliever? I mean, consider as he describes this struggle that he is in, in verse 14, he says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. How, after Romans 6, where he's talking about how we've been set free from sin, could he be talking about a believer if he is describing this person as sold under sin? How how could that be true? Uh, You should consider that. But then later he talks about, um, in verse 22, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. How could he be talking about an unbeliever? In verse 22, unbelievers don't delight in the law of God in their inner being. That's not what they do. So there should be some honesty in admitting why this can be a confusing passage. A couple comments as we think through that. Um, One would be, don't miss the forest for the trees. I think sometimes if we go too far into that debate, we're missing the point, the broader point of the chapter, which probably is more clearer early on in the chapter where it uh, really speaks of the law. And again, we're seeing the law by itself does not have the power to save us. No one will be justified by the works of the law. And I would say also the law by itself doesn't have the power to sanctify us. And especially just if you think of the idea, just having rules is not in and of itself going to make us holy. That does not mean that the law is bad. You know, we see that he affirms the law, but the law is not all that we need. We cannot be saved through the law and the law itself cannot sanctify us. And I think that's where, especially in chapter eight, we're going to see God has given us the Holy Spirit to do what the law by itself could not do. That's not saying the law doesn't have value. That's not saying that the law is good, but the law cannot produce in us what God has done through the righteousness of Christ and now the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the reasons why, even though it is a difficult passage, I think Paul is describing himself and his current struggle because there, there is, and this is where the other passage I would look at in connection with Romans 7 is Galatians 5. Uh, and because there we do see there is a struggle between the flesh and the spirit. Uh, but we see then that that's the key. We are to walk in the spirit and we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But here's kind of the pastoral concern sometimes I have with Romans chapter seven. And that is this. Please do not use Romans chapter seven as an excuse. And I would say that's the weakness of those who maybe agree with me and say, hey, I think this is talking about a believer. Uh, It becomes kind of, yeah, believers, look at us. We're just a bunch of miserable, you know, sad, uh, just struggling messes all the way to the kingdom. And I think that can get easily overcooked. There is an honesty, I think, from this 
uh, passage where, hey, there is a real struggle with sin even as we grow in sanctification. But do not forget what surrounds Romans 7, Romans chapter 6, and Romans chapter 8, right? Romans chapter 6 tells us uh, in verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So no, in light of Romans 7, don't just throw up your hands and say, well, you know, I'm just struggling and I'm just, you know, I can't do the things that I want to do. No, remember, you are to consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. And you are not to let sin reign in your mortal bodies. And that's where we consider Romans chapter 8, which we'll get into reading tomorrow. Remember verse 12 and 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live, right? So don't uh, just get caught up in Romans 7 by itself. Yes, I think as we continue to grow in Christ, there will be those moments of, ah, I I have failed and I have done something that I didn't want to do, or I I didn't do something that I wanted to do. And ah, that is frustrating, but that that is not necessarily even the dominant thread of our lives. We, We are dead to sin, alive to God, and we will grow in sanctification, not just through our own effort or rules, but through the power of the Spirit. Uh, So don't forget Romans 6 and don't forget Romans 8 when you're thinking about Romans 7 and even remember how Romans 7 ends. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, right? That there is a sense of hate, that there is going to be a deliverance from this body of death. And so let's not forget about that. So don't use Romans chapter 7 as an excuse uh, to not pursue the Lord or just to justify sin. Even look at Galatians 5, and it makes it clear, hey, the people that their lives are still dominated by sin, that's not evidence of real Christianity. So let's not overcook uh, some of the things there in Romans 7 to think, well, that's just what dominates the Christian life, just frustration and uh, just walking in sin. No, remember Romans 6, remember Romans eight, read all of Galatians five. And I think that will help us arrive at a a better understanding of this passage. Let's look now at two very similar chapters today in the Old Testament, first Kings 22 and second Chronicles 18. And as we look at these passages, you'll see 1 Kings 22 gives us a little bit more because it talks some about Jehoshaphat. It talks some about Ahab's son who becomes the king. But the central focus is this meeting with Ahab and Jehoshaphat, and they're going to go make war against the Syrians here. And one thing we notice is Jehoshaphat, while he is a good king, and clearly this is one of the examples where we're getting a lot more about him in Chronicles than we are in Kings, this is something that he does that is not the best. He should not be hanging out. He should not be making an alliance with this wicked king, Ahab. And you see uh, some of that as you read today, even some comments that 
oh, yeah, it doesn't seem like Jehoshaphat should have been doing that. But you get this scene where Ahab and and Jehoshaphat are uh, talking about going to war. And Jehoshaphat says, hey, let's inquire of the Lord. But all these prophets come and they they say, yes, you should go. And God's going to give you the victory. But you can tell it does seem like Jehoshaphat even feels like something doesn't seem to be right here. Because he says, is there not yet another prophet of the Lord to whom we may inquire? And uh, Ahab says, yeah, there's this one guy, but he never tells me anything good. And Jehoshaphat says, no, let's let's see what this guy has to say. And so they come and they bring this guy. And even though other prophets are continuing to you know, say, hey, go and God's going to bless you. They finally ask this prophet Micaiah. Uh, what's going to happen? And he says, go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. And Ahab clearly knows that he, he's not being genuine. So I don't know, is there a tone of voice? Was he kind of obviously mocking? Go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Was he just saying it in an obvious way that he wasn't being genuine? But then he says, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, they have no master. Let each return to its own place. He's prophesying Ahab is going to die. And Ahab says, didn't I tell you he would say something bad? And then he goes on to say, well, actually God revealed to me, you know, that you're going to be enticed into this battle. And how is it? There's going to be a lying spirit in the mouths of the prophets, and it's going to draw you into this battle. And you see a sense of the sovereignty of God because Ahab goes into battle and says, hey, I've got it figured out. I'll just disguise myself. And you see even the the other army, they go after King Jehoshaphat because they think he's the king of Israel when he's not. He's the king of Judah, Uh, but so they can't uh, find him. Uh, But then it says in verse 34 of first Kings 22, but a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel. How random do you think that really was right on a human level? It seems random, but God was accomplishing what he said would happen. And Ahab, through his schemes, could not get out of it. So see there as a call for real repentance. Ahab, instead of really following up on the repentance we saw in the reading yesterday and listening to God, no, he thinks that he can still get by. He can still manage things his own way. And that does not work. And so there we see that warning in the life of King Ahab. But I hope the comments on Romans 7 were were helpful. And we need to be honest. I think that there is a real struggle in sanctification and there can be some real frustration in our lives as we fail times where we know better and we want to do what is right. But there is a struggle with the flesh. But let's not forget Romans 6, Romans 8. We are not slaves to sin anymore if you are in Christ. And God has given us the Spirit. And by the Spirit, we are meant to put to death the deeds of the flesh. We'll learn more about that as we continue through through Romans 8 tomorrow. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.